this would be different than that. This is my okay. fantasy job. You can't okay. spoil this. everybody and welcome back to episode 12 of Art Juice. I can't quite believe we've got to episode 12 already. This is me, Alice Sheridan. And me, Louise Fletcher. And these are just behind the scenes conversations about making art and the creative life. So we're going to go straight in to what are you working on or what have you been working on this week? So uh, I've had an interesting week because a few months ago, I was accepted into our open studios for North Yorkshire and being an idiot and filled with enthusiasm, I said, does anybody, you know, would you like any help with social media marketing? Because I can do Facebook advertising because I knew even though I'm not the world's biggest expert, I can do more than most people there. And uh, they said, oh, yes, that would be great. And then a memo went out to everyone that I was in charge of social media strategy for Open Studio. You see, you're fresh blood. You're fresh blood. In exactly. The yeah, yeah. I should know by now. Don't put your hand up in a voluntary group. And the thing about this Open Studios is North Yorkshire is, is England's biggest county for people who are not from England. And it covers a, a large area. And um, it used to be the Open Studios was a very professionally run operation by an, org uh, an organization with government funding and all the rest. And it was very glossy and well produced. And uh, the organization backed out last, the year before last and decided not to do it anymore. So it has become an artist led event. Yeah, like and houses. Right. And, and um, what was really interesting was we had a meeting this week. We've got lovely, the, the guy who's done it, he's a portrait artist from the East Coast. He's done an amazing job and the brochures are glossy and the posters look great and everything looks as professional as before. And at the meeting, we gave him, somebody said, oh, round of applause for Russell. And he accepted the round of applause and then said, I just like to say that if anybody assumes I can ever do this again, I can't because it's taken six months of solid full-time work and I haven't painted in six months and I can't yeah. do that anymore, which is, of course, totally reasonable. And then this kind of pall went over the room that was like, oh, <laughs> what are we yeah. going to do now? Because the, with something like this, you do it once, that's not the end of the work. You've got to do it ongoing and the promotion and everything. So um, anyway, my role is going to be the social media paid advertising because I did manage to get some people to help me with the organic posting, just day-to-day -day posting. So I'm about ramping up for that and trying to find out how much of a budget I have. Um, but it's, it's going to be really interesting because uh, to have an organization like that, they spent a lot of money as well, which I didn't realize how much they spent on promotion for this. Yep. And now it's up to us to get round and get everybody aware. And it's, it's a challenge. I mean, I know that for ours, you know, the biggest cost is the, is the printing cost. So all the, all, yes. the, all the guides, the booklets, the posters, the banners, all of that. But we, we have almost the opposite in that we're a very, we're a really small area, three, three square miles, I think, but it crosses three London boroughs. So again, right. no support, but that's how it, it's always grown up with, with people coming in and volunteering and doing certain parts of it. But, but, you know, there's always lots of lovely, um, lots of lovely suggestions from people who don't 
get involved about all the things that could be done better <laughs> and it's yes it's yes. quite <laughs> Well, he was, he was presenting and he was saying what he would like to do next year because we take no commission, so there's an yep. entry fee. Yep. And, and he was saying, if we increase the entry fee next year, we could afford to get some help with some of this stuff. And for most of us, I think that was fine. I just thought, oh, what a good idea. You know, it's very reasonable as it is and there's no commission. But uh, somebody felt like that wasn't, they didn't want to do that. So they mm -hmm. suggested that we get sponsors and, yeah, we uh, have a sponsor. So we have a sponsor. We have one main sponsor in the area that that right. um, brings it, and they're an estate agent. And the other thing that they do then is they they print special boards. So and they go around and they put those outside everybody's house, and it becomes a kind of marker on the trail as well. So having one main sponsor, if you've got a local company, that would be a really good idea for getting a chunk in. It's a great idea. Yeah, but but uh, mm -hmm. so as he said. Um, okay you know so that's who's gonna who's idea. gonna ask yeah yeah but somebody's yeah. got to take that on and yeah. the person suggesting i don't know in this case but often the person suggesting isn't the one who's saying i know what we need we need a sponsor let me go get on that right away and i'll get back to you yeah. they're saying well you know i think what we should do is this and then they're going home and i just find the whole thing really interesting because you cannot get um, a, a room full of artists to just get going on business and marketing it's inherent in the personality type of many artists that that's just not in their dna they don't do it for themselves so to do it for a bigger group is a big ask so it's quite interesting and then the ones that are willing to do it end up as you will know with all the work um, and so it's it's probably a challenge that will never end, but it's going to be interesting to see if we can bring in as many people as they did. I think we can. I just think, I think it just takes some organisation, but I think we can. So we'll see. So what are the dates of that? That's later in the summer. That is the first two weekends of June. Okay. And there is a website for anybody who is in the area or nearby, which is North Yorkshire Open Studios. And there are a hundred artists and wherever you are, if you're in Cumbria, or if you're in Lancashire, if you're down in the Midlands, there are artists near you because it's such a big area. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, ours is June too. And it's, you know, sometimes it's lovely because the weather's gorgeous and everybody thinks it's 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 brilliant because the weather's gorgeous everybody's going to come and then afterwards everybody says nobody came because the weather was gorgeous and they're all too busy having barbecues and summer fates so you know you can't you can't ever win what time of year no. you can't control any of it but yeah no. ours at the same time so i think mine this year is going to be a little bit um random work in progress and what's happening in the studio rather than finished pieces well i think that's actually what a lot of people want yeah. Uh, you know, we were being cautioned by the, the person organizing that this is a play, this is an event for people to see inside an artist studio yeah. and not an event for them to see a mini gallery. And it's OK to show them a gallery of work, but, you know, try and show them what happens, because that's what people are. That's always what I'm interested in when I go to these things. It's interesting because I was having a discussion with um, Paul last week did I tell you that I went in to talk to a local agent about using one of the empty shops around here as a pop-up studio space oh well, no you didn't 
Yeah, well, it isn't going to happen because it's £40,000 worth of rent and £30,000 worth of rates. So that is the expense of being in London. Yeah, and there, there's me thinking that it might be a negotiable, we could do a six month, three month, apparently if you do three months, then there's no rates to pay. But he said, but then what's in it for me and, you know, for the, for the person who owns the building, you know, they're not paying, I'm not getting anything out of it because I'm not getting my agent commission and they're not getting a stable tenant. And I just think there has to be some creative way of coming up with this but I came back home and we were having further discussions about space and what could be used and so far we've come up with removing the big desk which is not exactly revolutionary but <laughs> but Paul said why don't you use this downstairs space uh, where the tile is at the back of our house you've been to our house yeah which currently has sofas in but to be honest it isn't hugely used but I don't feel comfortable about taking that over that's family space and I don't think my stuff should be that much in family space when I've already got a room upstairs I might have a mutiny on my hands but maybe for open studios this year I will turn it around and bring a table in there and there will be more work in there yeah rather than just display that's a nice space yeah. so what have you been working on this week well I have if it's felt like a real bits and pieces week um I I haven't been doing a lot of painting this week and this kind of it brings me back and it's funny my feeling about it is I'm beginning to get a bit niggly about it now because where are we now so the art fair was just over two weeks ago so I finished painting probably 10 days before that in order to get framing and photographs and things done so we're coming up to kind of four weeks that I haven't done any real get stuck in nitty-gritty painting and I can feel it. I can feel it in my bones <laughs> as, as, as this kind of building, not irritation, but, you know, need to get back to it. That's on the one hand. And on the other hand, I also know that these things come in cycles, like we're into Easter holidays now. That's not usually when I paint. We're at the end of a term. So it's okay to be doing other things but I'm just aware of this frustration. I was wondering whether I was going to do the 100-day project, and then I just decided that I've got enough on my plate. So I'm, I'm not going to be doing that. But I, I will do some more sketchbook work, but I, I've just got this desire to let rip on something again. But I've got no idea what I want to be working on next, and I feel as though this time I do want to have a bit of a plan, and that just needs some time to let that settle so maybe having time over holidays is going to help with that so that kind of takes us into uh, a topic that we were going to talk about anyway but then we had a question from the from Sarah um, which also ties in so we're gonna I'm gonna read the question from Sarah and then we're going to let it lead into our main topic so the main topic is you know how does our fantasy idea of being in an artist measure up against the reality of it and I've got all sorts of points I want to touch on so the difference between art as a pastime and as a job and how you can still allow yourself to kind of choose things that you're interested in but Sarah's question is this I have to work full-time nine to five so I squeeze my art in at every opportunity of my spare time 
I would really like to turn it into my job eventually, so I'm working hard for it. But because I don't art full-time, I sometimes struggle to call myself an artist, and I feel like a bit of a fake and a fraud. If people ask me what I do, I hesitate. In my heart, I'm 100% an artist. In my nine-to-five day-to-day, I'm something completely different, but that's not really me. Have you ever felt like that, and how did you overcome it? So what? let's... Let's start with your responses to that. What's your feeling about art versus nine to five? So I completely, I Sarah and I must be the same person because uh, I was the same until last year. I was working full time on my own business, which had nothing to do with art. And I painted only at night, nine o'clock till 11 o'clock was my painting time if I had the energy to do it. And- um, So after dinner and everything? Yes, wow. yeah. Because I would finish work about six, I would have the dog to deal with, I would make dinner, I would eat dinner with my husband, and then I would go paint. Um, so did that, personal question, but did that cause problems between the two of you that all your evenings were doing that rather than spending time with him? No, because um, the thing is, we're in a bit of an unusual situation in that we work together. Okay. We both work from home. So you've had enough uh, of each other by then? We run a business together, so we have no shortage of seeing each other. Okay. So no, uh, not at all a problem. And he tends to uh, watch TV and watch things that I'm not interested in. So he's happy to do his own thing and for me to do that. But I wouldn't, I didn't do it every night because I didn't have the energy. So it was only, I might do, you know, four hours, six hours during the week if I was lucky and maybe a couple of hours on the weekend because that is when we would spend time together yeah. on the weekend. So uh, I totally sympathise, but I don't, I think there's two separate questions here, or there was for me. Um, struggling to call myself an artist wasn't just because I didn't do it full time. It was something bigger than that. Um, so even when I went to doing it more full time, I still struggled with that word artist. So I'm not sure that that will solve your problem about that, Sarah. Mm. But I do understand what she's saying, that what do you say when somebody asks you what you do, if what you do is, say, accounting, but what you feel like you are is an artist? Um, and what I, I wasn't the best example because I used to say, oh, I have a business writing resumes and CVs and in my spare time I paint. That's what I used to say to people. Yeah. That's all I felt like I could justify saying. But that's okay, isn't it? If that's the reality of it, I don't see what's wrong with that. That's okay to say that. Unless you have the, the desire, as I did and as I think Sarah does, to say I am an artist you know how people say I'm an actor but I'm you know a waiter yeah yeah well truly what I knew in my heart of hearts is I'm an artist I'm an artist even if I'm not painting even if I'm not making anything because I just am and I would like to I would have liked to have had the courage to say that to people I'm an artist but at the moment to pay the bills, I do this. But saying I'm an artist to most people has such connotations that I think it feels too much. 
like I know I have friends and family, well, not family. I have people around me who would say, well, you're not an artist if you're not selling anything or you're not an artist if you're not really doing it, are you? It, it sounds pretentious. It's got I think a- that that's a key thing for me is that um, it, I mean, maybe you've got to test it out and see, because I think sometimes saying I'm an artist could, could get you into sort of situations where you get those kind of responses from people. And you, d- you don't want to have to deal with those kind of responses at that point. If it's something that's feeling quite precious to you and quite fragile because you are doing it alongside something else that is taking up a lot of your time, it's something that you want to nurture. And you, you don't have to take on board other people's views and opinions at that stage. I think that's what I would say about it at this point is that it's something that you need to tend like like growing a plant from seed you know it's 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 maybe not robust enough yet in your life to fully put your stake in the ground which is not the same thing as saying it's not what you are it's just saying you're you maybe you're not ready yet to open it up to hurricane winds of other people's opinions and it's okay that you don't have to say it out loud in order to be it and feel that it's a hundred percent what you are and what you enjoy spending your time doing and that's a good point because there's so much in this question that when you unpack it because what you say is completely true you don't have to say it out loud and open it up to other people's maybe negative comments or opinions but also she says and I feel like a fake and a fraud and that mm. is something internal so internally she doesn't feel like she can own being an artist yet because she's got this other thing and there are a lot of people there are a huge amount of working artists who call themselves artists who supplement their income from art from doing other jobs massive massive amount the fact that you're doing another job and you're doing art does not preclude you from calling yourself an artist so that doesn't mean that your art is a fake and a fraud. No, exactly. And a lot of the people that you might think that's not true of, it is true of. So when you see someone on Instagram and they post sold, sold, or a day in the studio painting, it can look like this ideal life, which is what you started off saying. It can look like this, you know, oh, they've got it all worked out and how are they selling so much? Mm. But you don't realize that you don't realize because you're not paying that much attention that it's been a month since they said sold last time Mm. and that they're actually doing some bookkeeping at home or some other thing or teaching Mm -hmm. um doing workshops or doing online classes or something to supplement that like you said so it's that idea of that you you look at other people and you think oh they've worked it out and they don't have to work and and in some cases maybe that's maybe they're independently wealthy or they have some other way of doing it. In some cases, maybe they are selling enough art to live on. But like you say, in many, many cases, not. I'll tell you what I would recommend that you listen to. I don't know, you you probably, many of you will have um, heard of her or come across her or follow her already. And that is the at Carve Out Time for Art um, Instagram account, which is run by Heather Kirtland and Marissa Huber and um, uh, Marissa's just had her second baby and she she based they basically started there's a really interesting interview with both of them 
on the artist mother podcast but the point for both of them was they felt like it was a really essential thing for both of them to create this space for making their art within within the rest of their life now and although this interview was on the artist mother podcast and marissa is a mother that that's not the key driver the key driver is that we are all busy doing other things and if this is an important part of you that idea carve out time and finding where you fit it into your life is is what's essential in terms of their personal situation, Marissa is now back at work full time. She is a she's the main breadwinner in their family and she's still making art. But what she's done is she's adapted her process. She does um, quite a lot of textile designs and it's she does a lot in the evening. She does a lot working alongside both an older child and the baby, you know. And I think that that's the key thing here is is squeezing squeezing it in is is a reality i mean it's frustrating i understand that it's frustrating and i guess this is going to lead us into our main question isn't it is is that where do you where does this line cross over between i'm doing it alongside another job or something else that i have to do and this idea of being a full-time artist and what does that entail now because one thing I used to always say to people is I have two jobs yeah um because I always felt like being an artist was a second job it just wasn't bringing me any money yet yeah it was a job because yeah. I was working at it and I was putting everything into it and I, and I wanted it to one day if you don't want it to then um I think that's in some ways quite enviable because then you, you're fitting in time for something that's truly pleasurable. Yeah. But if you want it to bring in money for whatever reason, either because you need to financially or you need to, to validate or you need, you know, you don't want all these pictures piling up or whatever it is, if you want to sell it, I, I think there's nothing you have to treat it then mentally as just as important as the job that's paying money. Oh, that's certainly how I felt. So that's why I was willing to go out at nine o'clock and paint till maybe 11 or midnight when I was tired because it's a job. Yeah. Whereas for me, it's been a much more gradual process. You know, I, I was, I was in the situation where, you know, my options were go back to work full time. This had been a hobby on the side, which I was spending all the spare time that I had doing, but I, I, I didn't, I didn't need to have another full-time job going. You know, my, my job was um, being a mum, being at home, doing all the domestic stuff, all the bills, all the DIY, all the, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And then there seemed to be gradually more and more time for painting, but it was very definitely still a hobby. And then it was only fairly recently that I thought, right, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. And this is going to be this is now my job. And that meant that, you know, I have to start saying no to other social things. It meant I had to start saying no to certain domestic things. Uh, means the rest of the family has to adapt a little bit. It means that the hours are sometimes infrequent and irregular. That's something that I'd probably like to get a bit better at. <laughs> um, recently, there's been a lot going on. Um, but that's the payoff. So it's kind of where do you want to go with it and are you prepared for what it's going to bring you because 
And this brings us right into this main idea of what is the fantasy of being an artist and what is the reality? And this, I think this discussion about this is not intended to put anybody off because we all cope with things along the line that are harder than we could imagine at the beginning because we do it gradually and we learn as we go so that's it's okay that things are going to be harder and they're not going to be quite what you imagine them to be when you're setting out because you can't know what that is yet but I think that there is a danger between in taking something that you really love and is pure enjoyment and making it into your job yes do you feel that risk yes definitely Um, And I thought about that a lot when I first decided to make this um, my source of income. I thought, you know, when when you decide to make art that that's your source of income, as you did, so you know this, then you need to make a plan. How am I going to make that much money? And what is that going to entail? And how can I split that between... uh, selling and teaching or is it all selling and if it's all selling how many paintings is that and how much do I have to charge and you you have to get very you have to get business-like about it yeah and um I thought about that like is that going to take away the pleasure of doing it when once it becomes that and actually that's one of the reasons that I became interested in not making painting my sole source of income yep because I thought that will put too much pressure on me. I know what I'm like. I'll, you know, I'll really stress out about it. I'll go for it gung-ho. I'll be going to every gallery there is. I'll be, and it'll become more and more stuff I don't enjoy. Yeah. And luckily I stumbled upon teaching online by accident. And that isn't a chore. I love that. Mm. That's, that's, I love that in a different way. Mm. So now I'm re-looking at the business side of it and trying to think, how can I make selling my art as enjoyable to me as the teaching is? Because approaching galleries and asking people to permission to do things is not enjoyable for me. I really don't like it. So that's a separate conversation, but I'm in the process of trying to work out my own way of selling that I find enjoyable. As you take this further into the realm of it becoming uh, more business-like there are still options to choose just as when you're painting you're choosing you're making a decision about whether you want to make liner cuts or paint with watercolor or do huge abstracts or do portraits or you know whatever or sculptures or jewelry or whatever it is that you're making a decision about under a huge great big umbrella of making art you can also choose what other things that you do to support that in an artistic and creative way so that your your the job part of it perhaps is not being an accountant or working as a you know working in your child's school or you know whatever else that you're doing you know you can you can choose whether you know is teaching art in workshops going to be something that you think you you will enjoy I mean I'm crazy busy at the moment every single minute of it I'm liking. I even like it when the tech goes wrong and I've got to work out how to fix this video. (laughs) Now, I don't know whether that's some kind of weird thing in me where when I start off doing something, I want to prove to myself that I can figure it out. But 
if I hated it, if I've, if it made me miserable doing all these other things and learning all these other things, then I would stop doing them. I'm doing it because the process of having something else that supports my art, that feels like it's in the same world, but is also a different process. I actually find having those two different alternatives of ways that I can work and spend my time really helpful. I mean, I know that I couldn't just paint all day, every day for eight hours. Yeah, be, no, I couldn't. I'd, I'd be exhausted, A. I'm pretty sure I'd run out of ideas and start producing rubbish, B. So having alternatives kind of feeds back into the creative process. Even if I'm getting jittery at the moment that I haven't painted, I know that that needs to be there. Of course it needs to be there. But having these other things that I do alongside, that all is part of the whole picture to me. So I guess the question really is, you know, what, what is the whole picture? And it's figuring out what your vision of the whole picture looks like for you. So is that having a totally separate job that is totally non-art related that you can segregate, you can switch that off and then you can come in and you can make your art and two totally separate things. Or do you want to kind of mix the, mix the worlds up a little bit? And that's going to be so different for everybody, isn't it? Yeah. And I was just thinking about the separate job I, um, I have this other business which my husband primarily is running now but occasionally it brings me back into it and I have to do some work on it I don't enjoy it anymore I don't want to be doing it anymore we've got to a point now where it's quite busy the other business and it's mm-hmm. pulling me back in mm-hmm. um, and unless I can find some extra freelance help um, and I really don't like it and every moment of it is a drudge and mm-hmm. I'm remembering oh that's how it used to feel and I don't want to go back to that and in my fantasy artist life yeah I still need another job so I did always have this fantasy artist life which involves me painting but then I have this really easy job and it's in this imaginary country bookshop first of all we don't have bookshops in the country because nobody there's not enough people here to keep a bookshop going anymore but it's a country bookshop and I just potter about in there working in this really gentle job that doesn't pay particularly well but pays enough yeah and then I paint and the two complement each other yeah but in reality uh the complementing work which is the online courses is taking takes a huge amount of energy and thought and commitment just like the art does and the the balance and you must experience this too I agree with you I like the contrast between the two and I think they feed each other but it is easy to have the business side drain everything away it, it, because it's not pottering about in a bookshop just gently do, serving do you know what though <laughs> I hate to break it to you but even your fantasy job in reality would probably be sleazy sleazy book reps <laughs> lugging boxes of books having difficult customers I having know. long patches of boring empty days no because I used to work not, in retail but this would be different than that this is okay. my fantasy job you can't okay. spoil this yeah this- you see my my fantasy job I've, I've also had it's funny maybe it maybe it's the books I also have thought it would be great to go and work in Waterstones we have a huge great big Waterstones it's lovely and in my dreams I could just wander around and browse through the books and <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, because I used to work for many years ago HMV, which for a while owned Waterstones, HMV, the record stores. Yeah. And yeah, there wasn't much strolling around browsing the records. It was quite hard work, but uh, it was it was an enjoyable job. Any job where you're around something you love is actually quite enjoyable compared to doing something you don't love. Okay, so let let's play a game. Let's list all the things that um, you do now as part of your uh, job in inverted commas as an artist that perhaps doesn't measure up to a fantasy idea of artist, and then. Should we, should we work out how much we really dislike doing those things? Okay, so I'll start. So one of the things is the amount of time it takes to wrap and pack things up. Yes. Lots of time remodeling, shaping cardboard boxes, yeah. <laughs> wrapping corners, trying to, yeah. You know, all those, all those times in maths where you had to draw out the net of a cube and you thought, when am I ever going to use this? <laughs> now now you're gonna use it now <laughs> well uh definitely one of mine is the amount of uh time and mental energy it takes me on accounting um, okay i have never done that in the other business my husband did all of that and keeping track of remembering to track all my expenses and sales and putting them in the right place and ugh, and then having it all ready for taxes absolutely test that part of it okay what about um what about just kind of like art housekeeping so cleaning your brushes um are you supposed to clean your brushes when i worked in oil paint you didn't need to worry you could kind of you know dip them in, in and, and you could just leave them and wipe them and work the next day but you can't do that with um acrylic in water because if you leave brushes in water then all the paint will flake off and the ferrules will go rusty and so yeah i yeah that's my problem i have i have just buckets of water with brushes lying in them and they do they go rusty and they and they're not any good anymore yeah. take it from me children don't leave your brushes in You're pots of water i am I'm terrible <laughs> okay so that so you've solved that one easily by just not doing not, that. not doing it yet uh, tidying up the studio at the end when i'm painting is terrible i hate it but then coming in in the morning to a mess is even worse because you're really excited so yeah generally tidying up and keeping things clean no i don't like that part okay what other things take time so so for figuring out figuring out tech stuff takes time so if you're gonna work direct with your own buyers and build an audience You've got to spend time on social media. You've got to spend time writing a newsletter. And that, I know, is something that people completely shy away from because it's so unfamiliar. Yeah. But, but it, it's part of it, you know, unless you're going to fully pursue the gallery route. And this is why I say it depends what your big picture is of what you want. Mm -hmm. If you want to go down the gallery route and let them handle all of that and put all your eggs in that basket then you don't have to do any of it. But if you want this to be a job, you've got to take responsibility for all of, I guess it's like being a parent a bit, isn't it? You know, it'd be quite nice, 
you know, I look at Marissa's lovely baby on Instagram sitting, gurgling, and I actually sent her a message and I said, yeah, it almost makes me feel broody because that is the kind of lovely side of having a baby that kind of looks like it even smells nice and <laughs> smile at you. And you know that the reality is that some days are just not a lot of fun. But overall, it's still a good thing that you want to do. I think one of the things that people perhaps don't realize who are not artists or who haven't yet shown work is how much work goes into getting ready for a show or yeah. an art fair or an event and that, yeah. that work I really don't like um the packing everything up carting it there unpacking it there hanging it in the right way but all the stuff that goes in before that even the framing and the vanishing and the, the typing up labels typing up labels and and making sure you've got the right labels at the right prices and you've got a master list of them all and documenting where your paintings are i'm terrible at that so that's not my list isn't updated um which ones have sold and which ones are still here and yeah so you could use artwork archive for that which was something that i resisted for a long time but i have to say because it's an external other piece of software I'm not very good at keeping it updated. So I've just gone back to using my regular spreadsheet and I just have a column. Where is this painting? Yeah, because whatever technology you use, whether it's Excel or some other, it's still got to be updated. You've still got to remember to yeah. do it. But what you were saying about the technology and figuring it out, what I like about that, I think you, you were saying you like that when something goes wrong. I think what I like about that is that there's a right and a wrong and there's a reason why something isn't happening. And it yeah. makes sense. As long as you can commit the time and energy to just sit down and logically figure it out, there's an answer. Unlike yeah. that other side of what we do, where it's all amorphous and, uh, you know, it could either go right or it could go wrong. And there is no right answer. There are a million answers to your painting situations with your painting but I was trying to design a web page this week and um, it wasn't going the way I wanted to but I know it's just code and somewhere in there there's a reason why it's not working even though part of you feels like oh you stupid thing why are you not doing what I'm telling you to do it's not doing what you're telling it to do because you're telling it to do the wrong thing and I like that process of figuring it out so if people find say MailChimp intimidating it's just you just have to kind of get in the right mental state to say right this is something I don't understand but plenty of stupid people use MailChimp it's not that complicated <laughs> <laughs> I know because I've met some of them so I can do this too I just yeah. have to apply myself yeah it's not a big scary monster. It's just some code that does what you tell it to don't do. Don't say the word code. You'll really put people off if you say okay. the word code. You don't have to look at code. <laughs> no, you don't have to look at code. But that's what's running it behind yeah. the scenes. It's just yeah. numbers and zeros and ones, basically. Yeah. And it's just doing what you tell it to do. Yeah, and, and just people... be glad, quite frankly, that you're not having to deal with the zeros and ones. I mean, remember my first ever introduction to a computer age seven was having was having to code and tell a computer how to draw a single red line we had to draw a house using code and you know that was a long time ago and now it's 
it's really quite a lot all done for you. You just log on, the software's there. It usually has quite nice interfaces. Yeah, there's a different way of putting it together. It's like a jigsaw puzzle in a slightly different format. But like, it's not that complicated. It is a problem-solving thing, which is actually what we're used to doing. Sometimes we have to work out what the problem is. <laughs> and, but it's usually a way that we can... There's usually a way that we can simplify it. We can take it back a step. You know, don't look at somebody else's hugely complex MailChimp newsletter and say, I'm going to do all of that. You can start really simple with it. I think it's like, it's like painting, isn't it? You, you don't look at Picasso's greatest work when you start painting and say, I'm going to make that. Yeah. Um, but that's what we tend to do when we see other people using technology properly. But you just yeah. do something very basic and then learn a little bit more and a little bit more until you're using it quite effectively. So here's a really tough question then. If all this talk about technology is freaking you out completely, do you believe that there is a way you can be an artist as a job and not have to do any of that? And unless you're going to have somebody else do it for you, yeah. whether that's a gallery yeah. or a business manager or an assistant. Yeah. I mean, I, I do know of, have heard of artists, I don't know personally, who do have a business partner and who agree to split the proceeds 50-50 with that person. So that's like having a gallery, basically. Yeah. And that person's job is to go out and sell your work. Yep. I suppose that would be possible. And I think it, I think it you know, if, if you look at lots of artists who are higher career level artists, they don't do any of that stuff. They don't figure out their own website or they probably don't even have newsletters that they write to people who are interested because their work sells before it even gets to that point. But again, that's not a starting point, is it? That's no. like where you get to at the end of your career. <laughs> yes. And again, you might look at one of those people and say, oh, look at what they've got. Um, and we're going to talk about shortly. I was at Tracy Emin's exhibition yesterday. Tracy Emin has a four floor warehouse. You yeah. know. But if you listen to her being interviewed, she spent years not being able to decide between food and putting the gas on. Yeah. In the house. So, um, there's a massive difference between when you get to that point but it's easy to look at that person and say oh well you know they don't have to do any of this but they did at once upon a time or they would have in her case if the internet existed it didn't when she was coming up so I it comes back to what what are you prepared to do for it doesn't it then really you know if we, if we accept if we accept that it's not all going to be fantasy art living there is going to be some of it that a we're not very good at when we start off or we don't particularly like your options are you've got to find out a way to build your business and build your practice using some of the non-art related tasks but using the ones that you really enjoy so if you if you don't like being on video or talking on Instagram stories because you don't like showing yourself, find a way to use Instagram stories without showing your face. You don't have to do it that way. You know, there are alternatives and we are creative people. So you've got to have a think about what your alternative is going to be. And I think as well, you've got to think about 
what is it that you are good at? So it goes back to being yourself in your work, be yourself in the way you sell your work. Yeah. But what are you good at? What are the things for me? It was writing was an obvious thing because I'd always been good at writing. So I can incorporate that. And I do incorporate that in, into selling by writing about my work uh, in a way that entices people and gets them to ask questions and be interested. Yeah, you're but, much better at writing your blog than I am about writing mine. Yes, because I enjoy it. Yeah. Exactly, because I enjoy yeah. it. Yeah. But you enjoy, uh, you're much more outgoing than me and much more sociable than me. And you enjoy the art fair experience in a yeah. way that I never would. I'm, I may eventually do it, but it would always be difficult for me and always be something I didn't look forward to. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so if somebody is really good on video, don't bother writing a blog or doing, you know, then think about how you can make video work for you. If people yeah. have told you that you have personal charisma or a really good style, or if you look really nice and you want to, you know, use whatever you have instead of looking at what other people do what other people do can give you ideas or insights of but you have to find your own yeah and you also have to accept i think that there are going to be things that you're not going to want to do i mean i can't imagine could you imagine that do you think mo farah enjoys every moment he has to watch his diet and every minute of training no some of it is being prepared to do what it takes for the end result. If the end result is important for you, then you'll do what it takes to get there. And that end result can be totally staged. You don't have to go to like Mo Farah extreme again. He didn't start that way. He started with probably, I don't know what his history is, but I suspect he started with races at school or do what's necessary for you at the current stage. And that doesn't mean that you have to, totally jack in your nine to five job in order to make it as an artist within a year and it doesn't mean you have to jack in your nine to five job to call yourself an artist within a no. year either no. okay we're going to move on to inside outside what's inspired you and I've, I've kind of been too busy to be inspired this week so I'm definitely going to start with Louise while I think yeah. of something <laughs> Well, I've been super inspired, but yeah. not quite in the way I expected. So okay. I, I, I took a train to London and I know people in Australia and America laugh when we talk about traveling long distances in England. Um, but to go from where I am to get to London is a four hour journey. So it was a tiring day yesterday and I didn't want to stay over because I didn't want the extra expense. And I was going down there to see two exhibitions because if I'm going to make that whole journey, I'm going to fit two in. But that makes it difficult and long. So my first exhibition was Tracy Emin, and I still had some energy at that point. And she has uh, eight, nine rooms in this gallery, uh, beautiful white walls, high ceilings, exactly the place you'd imagine would be the perfect place to show your work. And her exhibition is all about longing and pain and love and loss. And what I found inspiring about her exhibition was I've seen her work on TV. I admire her as a person and a career woman, um, but I have not been in the same room before with anything that she's done. And I've 
I don't think I've been in the same room ever with artwork that was as viscerally powerful to me as that was. And there were people walking around chatting and there were people walking around saying, I don't get it, do you? And all that. And I was literally choking back tears at some of these paintings. I'm even getting emotional thinking about them. They were so powerful. And there was one that I walked, I, I saw across the room and I thought, oh my God, that, that's awful. It just, it just was so ooh, violent and when I got close, she writes the titles at the bottom and it was called Rape. Mm. And I was like, oh, that's why it felt so awful. But in particularly inspirational was this one room, which was drawings of her mother as she was dying and drawings of her experience of a mother dying. There were a lot of little drawings of her lying, a mother lying on a bed, her there. Um, but it, it just the feeling of it, it took me back to when my dad was dying um, 10 years ago, well, 20 years ago, good grief, 20 years ago. And the feeling I had then all came back with these drawings, just the way that she articulates in words and in drawings. The words were such a big part of it. So what I found so inspiring about that show was the fact that she is so in her work. 100 percent now i'm sure there are things she still keeps back i'm sure that's not every single thing but i i've never seen anything so honest and because she's so in it you feel it you feel it from those canvases when you walk in you can't help but feel it or i couldn't it seemed like some people could but yeah just amazing and it really because I'm at a stage with my work where I want to bring more of myself in and I want to have more, more of a powerful connection when people look at my work. So I found that incredibly inspiring. But then I moved on to the Van Gogh exhibition. Before we move on, if anybody hasn't seen that, I'm really sorry, but by the time it go, this goes out, you'll have, we'll have closed. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. But if you ever get a chance to go to any other Tracy Emin exhibitions, do go. But, but then I went on to the Van, Van Gogh exhibition and many years ago, um, he, I went to a, when I was 19 years old, I went to London and saw the sunflowers in the National Gallery and cried when I saw them and wasn't expecting that because at the time I had not really seen great art close up so I've always and I've always loved him and his story and his work but this was a really interesting exhibition and inspirational for a reason I wasn't expecting so it's a story of Van Gogh's development as an artist and he spent time in England living in England before he ever painted and I didn't know this, but he was quite well off when he lived in England. He had a well-paying job with an art dealer and he collected his own art. And some of that is on display, collected etchings and prints. Um, and what the exhibition did was it took you on a journey through his development as an artist. And it showed you how rubbish he was at the beginning. Mm. Um, it, there was a lot of drawings of his that I've never seen. Um, but you didn't just see the drawing, you saw the drawing and then you saw the print or etching that he had basically emulated um, 
there, there were a lot of fashionable things. Like, for example, there was a fashion for to, to portray men sitting in sad poses with their head in their hands. And then there were some drawings that Van Gogh had done of men sitting with their head in their hands, sadly. So he's and kind of following the trend. He was, follow, he, was, he was doing what we all do. He was trying to find his own way. And the drawings were amateurish, very constrained, um, just, just the way you are when you begin. Just they had no individuality and they weren't as accomplished as the ones he was copying. And then he went in another room and he was very influenced by Pissarro when he first saw his work. And there were a few Van Gogh paintings I've never seen where they were painted in Pissarro's style. Mm. And they weren't impressive. And they're, put, and they're put next to a Pissarro. So you can see that one's inferior to the other. Do you think, it, do you think he's turning in his grave? <laughs> <laughs> but then you go around and then you start to see his yeah. voice emerging. And then you're in a room where then you start to see the painters that mimicked him and were influenced by him. And in those rooms, his works shine off the walls, even the ones that aren't particularly famous, even the ones I'm sure he wouldn't have considered his best ones. They, you can't, they just jump from the walls. And it was the same as with the Tracy Emin, the power of them compared to those early things where he was you know, struggling or trying to find his way. And I just, I came out of there so inspired and just wanting to tell everybody who struggles and says, I don't have my own voice and I'm just copying other people. Mm. Like if there had been Pinterest, Van Gogh <laughs> would have been spending all day on Pinterest. Um, Cause he was, they were, you know, they were actual whole compositions that he had copied from someone else. Yeah. At the time he must not have had his own ideas yet. And he was trying to test things out. It's a real perseverance thing, isn't it? It really doesn't it, matter. It really is. And so I just loved the whole way it was set up. And then right at the end, they show the artists he inspired. And there were a series of average mimicked paintings by fairly uh, well-known English painters who'd done their own good work, but their, their attempts at Van Gogh's work were not impressive. Right. But then there were three big Francis Bacons um, that were uh, studies for a portrait of Van Gogh, they were called. Those were, again, so powerful. As soon as you saw them, they almost like hit you to go back across the room. And again, it was the difference between the people mimicking um, nothing to those paintings, Francis Bacon bringing his own self into what he was doing. It's just so powerful. So I came away from the whole day just, well, inspired that Van Gogh didn't, wasn't always that great. Yeah. <laughs> and also um, really inspired by this idea of the more you put into your own work, the more other people connect to it, whatever it is and whatever style it is. And it strikes me that with both of those, you use the word powerful. And that is something that I know that you enjoy in your own work and so yeah. I think often you know we look we, we look for where perhaps there are sort of guiding stars or somebody else who wants to work in a totally different way is not going to get that kind of inspiration from those exhibitions you know yes but we find what we need yes we find what we need that's true yes it's true so the uh, Van Gogh exhibition is on at Tate uh, Britain 
and it's on until the 11th of August 2019 so anybody who's still listening you can still get to that one so a word of advice just a quick word of advice I would go first thing or whatever the very last time you can go is because it was too full and I had to like push people out of the way to try and see paintings (laughs) and and I did but you know if you don't want to do that I I bet if you go to the first showing or if you go right at the end of the day it'd be a lot quieter yeah well I'm afraid I'm not even going to um compete on inspiration against Tracy Emin and Van Gogh (laughs) (laughs) so there we go so that's wrapped it up for this week so um all that remains is to say thank you so much for listening um we'd again always love it um I see that there are lovely new reviews coming in if you listen do a screen share share it out on Instagram tag us and we'll kind of copy it over to our feeds as well because um we'd love this to reach more people we know from the messages that you send that it's um you're enjoying listening and it's making a big difference to you so let's come together and get it out to other people who we think might enjoy it so you can find more about us and show notes for the podcasts on our website so that's louisefletcherart.com and alicesheridan.com and your questions are coming in on the um, little submission form that we have at bit.ly slash art juice podcast so we've got some really nice questions stacking up we're going to have a question from benjamin next week which is going to lead us so listen along to lucky lucky episode 13 next week. <laughs> let's hope <laughs> bye-bye bye I don't know sometimes if these conversations are helpful or whether they just tie people further in knots. <laughs>